Well, it's graduation time. What do university graduates need to know? Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hey, this is Dan Miller. You know, you're listening to the 48 Days Radio Show, where each week we take 48 minutes to dive into real-life questions about finding your passion, deciding what kind of life you want to live, and then finding or creating work that allows you to show up every day. Excited to be able to do something that is meaningful, fulfilling, and profitable. Welcome to the 48 Days Radio Show. We've got some great questions today, as always. As you heard in the little teaser opening there, what do university graduates need to know? Well, I, I had a listener this week ask, if I were invited to give a university's commencement address, what would I tell the graduates? What would I tell in such a way that would cause me not to get booed off the stage? How would I present the truth to these young people? Well, I guess, you know, knowing my concerns about current academic degrees, he wondered, how would I present a positive message for moving forward? Well, I've got some ideas on that. Had a somewhat similar opportunity just this week, so I'll, I'll share about that some. Well, here's another question. Where do wealthy people hang out? I love that question. I'm going to tell you. Somebody says, is it now better to show I'm not working and focus in on improving myself? my resume so is it better to you know just show that you're not working you're improving yourself or is it a negative to have that not working on your resume well another related one here recently i earned my mba in management and now find myself between a rock and a hard place i've been finding that i'm overeducated but lacking in work experience some of you can probably identify with that overeducated but lacking work experience how do you get through that seeming catch-22 Dan, should I stay at this, con continue to stay at this miserable job while working on my business on the side? Should I look for a new job with potentially less favorable hours in the interim or go for my business full time? Well, I'll give you some formulas that you can use there to figure out exactly what to do in that situation. So our quotation for today then comes from William Butler Yeats, who said, education is not the filling of a pail but the lighting of a fire. Love that idea. Well, got a success story here that I want to share with you that came in. This came in from Derek Olson. Derek and Carrie, his wife, attended Coaching with Excellence in 2011. So he says, Dan, I've been meaning to email you for a while now to give you an update on our progress with a three-year-old and a four-month-old. Haven't had time to catch my breath but I just want to check in and say hi. Here's the short, short version, the cliff notes. Carrie, Eric's wife, discovered voice acting. Now, I remember clearly when they came to Coaching with Excellence. Eric was doing financial coaching and uh, was getting ready to write his first book on financial coaching. We gave copies away to lots of groups here that he donated for us to give away. Great book on financial planning. Carrie wanted to do something. She wanted to be have the flexibility to be at home 
This is before they had any children. Now they have two. But Derek says Carrie discovered voice acting about three years ago and was instantly interested in trying it out. She booked a few sessions with a coach, and her coach was really impressed with her natural talent and her excitement. It turns out Carrie is really, really good. She replaced her day job salary working nights and weekends in just four months and quit her day job. That was two years ago. But she replaced her day job working nights and weekends. You know, we talked about that 15 hours. If you use that strategically, you can make massive progress in 90 days. That's exactly what Carrie did. In four months, she replaced her income, quit her day job. That was two years ago. Last year, that would be 2016, she grossed $104,000. Derek says, can you believe that? She gets hired almost every day, gets tons of referrals and repeat business. She does 99% of her work from our home office studio. And her website is Carrie Olson. C-A-R-R-I-E-O-L-S-E-N-V-O dot com. Olson, voiceover dot com. He says, I'm so proud of her. Well, I guess uh, we both work from home and get to spend so much time with our girls. Our hard work is paying off. Thanks, Dan. You played a huge part in all of this. Well, Derek, my gosh, I'm delighted to get your note. Love those kind of notes every week as they come in. But seeing people like you who took action. Knowledge is one thing, but it, just like our quotation for today, education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire. What made the difference for you was not just getting new knowledge, but lighting that fire, taking massive action, make that happen. Hey, congratulations on doing just that. Well, let me go to some other notes here that I've got. I've got, got some. These are some things that are just happening in business. You know, I get updates, of course, lots of them every every week. But here's some of the things that are just kind of interesting. Apple now has more than $250 billion in cash, an amount greater than the market value of Walmart and more than the foreign currency reserves of the United Kingdom and Canada combined. Wow, it's $250 billion in cash. Um... Well, here's, here's an interesting note. U.S. companies right now, you know, we're right here in May, and they're bringing on interns. Now, a lot of times you think about an intern as being just, you just volunteer your time. Not really. I mean, great companies pay their interns. And I was surprised at the level of pay that some of the companies do pay their interns. The best summer Internships each pay their interns at least $4,500 a month, which is equivalent to a $54,000 annual salary. Now that's pretty interesting. 16 of the top 25 companies that are you know, paying the best for interns are technology companies, including Facebook, where interns make a median income of $8,000 a month. Well, that's pretty stinking awesome. As an intern... The next three on the list are Microsoft, which pays a median $7,100 a month, ExxonMobil, $6,500, and Salesforce, $6,450. Those are figures right out of the Washington Post. But those are for internships. So those of you who are coming out of school and need summer opportunities, just kind of get your feet in the water and see if there's a particular line of work that you enjoy, yeah, that's a great way to do it. 
Well, here's another thing that's of interest. India, of course, we think about India, you know, being a place where they have these big call centers and all. And so uh, they have cheap labor there. And uh, a lot of American companies use companies that are based in India. Well, the reverse is also true. India is opening companies in the United States. Infosys is one of the companies. They anticipate hiring 10,000 Americans in the next two years. They're going to open up four U.S. research hubs to develop technologies like artificial intelligence. Anyway, this whole issue about you know immigrants and who's allowed and who's not allowed is very, very muddy waters, believe me. Well, one more note here, then we're going to go to some... Um, 48 days members and things that they're doing but um, some of the earnings of some of the big company leaders are pretty astounding ceo jeff bezos from amazon now you know amazon they're everywhere they are indeed most of us are using them for a whole lot of things at this point because of the things that have happened there puts his personal fortune at more than 80 billion dollars 80 billion dollars now, Bill Gates is still considered the world's richest person, even though he's given away billions and billions of dollars. He's still considered the world's richest person at $87 billion. So Jeff Bezos is um, you know, kind of in second place along that. Uh, Google founders, Larry Page, Sergey Brin, um, they're worth about $45 billion each. They saw their fortunes increase roughly $1.5 billion each this week. This last week, can you imagine having your fortune go up a billion, one and a half billion dollars in a calendar week? Well, once you get into a certain stratosphere, and hey, we're going to talk about how to how to hang around wealthy people, which is one of the questions today. One of the things we did on Monday in Forty Eight Days Eagles group, which was really cool, was just bring some people into our live call who had shared what they were doing. Every Friday, we have Fantastic Friday in the 48dayseagles.com group, and people share what they're doing. So I just invited some of those people into the forefront to tell us a little bit more about what they're doing. Well, Dawn Best Eshelman, she's um, an awesome artist, and she started a podcast that's called I'm Not a Life Coach. It's really hilarious. She's got a great sense of humor. It's short, but she talks about the things you could look, shouldn't look for if you are looking for a coach. But here's another thing that I found of real interest that she shared. So she is an artist. She's very, very good. She does a lot of comics, children's illustration, you know, for books, those kind of things. She just she did a book that we're going to be sharing here shortly, 48 Days for Kids, that is absolutely astounding. She did both the text and the illustrations, and it's really, really well done. i got publishers standing in line to publish that. Inasmuch as she has that kind of success, she also is a phlebotomist. Now, if you understand that term, she draws blood. At a local clinic, she starts at 5.30 in the morning, works till 11.30. So she goes in very early, but is finished before lunch. That allows her husband, the combination of things she's doing, to be a stay-at-home dad. She has full uh, health insurance for the family. I mean, that, that's one of those cool combinations. And there's so many options available to us today. I love these unique combinations when people figure out what makes the most sense for them individually. Donna Reed shared how she's totally filled her schedule as a consultant and bookkeeper. She identified her ideal target client, what they look like, and how she goes after them. And she, her schedule is totally full. She does bookkeeping for them. It was great to hear that. Andrew Kaczor, 
just launched a new community, Dads That Lead. And he's finding a real receptivity for that, Dads That Lead. So we're in articles, podcasts, Dads That Lead. Pete Herrick shared how he does voiceover work. He scans, he said at any time, there's usually 1,500 to 2,000 books that are out there that you can bid on to do the audio of the books. So he bids on doing those, stays busy full-time, just doing audio work like that. Uh, Troy Stavros showed us the video that his 15-year-old daughter just did. Uh, Xandria Cross, I mean, one of the pleasures of being a parent is to watch the unique skills that God has put in our kids develop. And it's the, the video that Xandria Cross did is just astounding. Um, he did the production. Of course, she got a lot of help from mom and dad, and rightfully so. But she's certainly on her way with some of the things that she's doing. And knowing the bar has really been lowered, not meaning that you know, lesser quality gets in, but it's just easier to get recognized. When you, when you think about the things that Justin Bieber and Taylor Swift did, you know, to get going, just putting up little videos on YouTube and all, and all of a sudden they do get an audience and take off. Well, because you don't have to wait for a big production company to come along, you don't have to wait for a record deal, you don't have to wait for a publishing deal on a book anymore. Because of all those things, it's a lot easier to get in the game. And really, age doesn't matter much. So here we've got kids like Xandria getting in the game and ready to go. And I love the work that she's doing. Uh, Teresa McCoy shared about her new teaching video that she's doing. And also the fact that she connected. Teresa went with us on our 48 Days Cruise back in February. She connected with two other gals who were on the cruise, and they formed their own little mastermind. They meet every week, share ideas, and she shared some of the things that were going on. So these are all things I was not aware of but just uh, things that are bubbling up in the 48dayseagles.com community. So if you aren't there yet, we'd love to see you join us there. That community is growing nicely, and the way that people are sharing and helping each other is is always amazing to even me. Now, I've got a little, a couple things here I just want to run through. I wasn't sure I was going to share this, but I think I am. I got a question from Elaine. You said, on your podcast, you sometimes mention people selling on eBay. I used to sell occasionally on eBay, but stopped because eBay and PayPal both support Planned Parenthood. I try not to support companies who support Planned Parenthood. you know of any other online auction sites that, that do not use PayPal? Thank you. I enjoy your podcast. This is a tough issue, Elaine, and, and frankly, I really don't. I don't know other online you know, auction sites that I would recommend outside of eBay. When you look at the scope, the access that you have with eBay and Amazon, and then using PayPal, and PayPal is used more and more for all kinds of transactions. We use it, my gosh, you know, hundreds of times a day. Um, I appreciate your heart on this, but I think you're going down a rabbit hole that really has no bottom. I mean, I could refuse to pay my federal taxes because I don't agree with many of the things that our government does with that money. Or I could stop using Amazon because of some of the things we've heard about how they treat some of their employees. But I really think there are more effective ways to be salt and light in the world than backing yourself into a corner where you have no leverage and no voice. And if you just back out of engaging, you can make a statement for yourself, but I don't think it's going to have much effect if you aren't engaged. I mean, I know people who don't go to Disney World, uh, people who won't shop at Walmart, 
and um, people won't step foot inside Chick-fil-A. I mean, all of those things. Again, I, I commend people on standing up for what they believe is right, but I'm not sure we can just back out of everything that we find somehow offensive in some way and not using it. I mean, I would, I would have to you know, ride a bicycle rather than drive a car probably because I could find things that car manufacturers do that I don't really agree with. And yet I kind of like having a car to drive. So I'm going to make a stand for things by being engaged in the real world, but then being verbal about things that I believe in, things that I, things that I stand for. Probably not a, you know, I'm sure some of you can have a more effective response to Elaine's question, but uh, I decided to share it just to kind of stimulate your thinking. I want to throw things out, do that, and help me refine my own thinking on those issues. Now, Mark says, Dan, if invited to give a university's commencement address, what would you tell the graduates? Would you tell it in such a way that would cause you to get booed off the stage? How would you present the truth to these young people? Well, I know that Mark is probably responding to some of my ongoing commentary about education, the current trends in education, and how I think that a lot of university students are coming out with a piece of paper but no real marketable skills. Now, that, that's really true. Well, I, I, I would welcome the opportunity. I mean, when you think about some of the speeches that have been given out there, like ones that Jim Carrey gave not too long ago, and Steve Jobs before his death. I mean, some astounding messages on moving forward, and I could certainly do that. Let me just give you kind of a related example and what I would do. I did speak this last week at a graduation ceremony. Now, it was not a college or university. It was rather a DUI program here in Franklin, Tennessee, driving under the influence. We've got a wonderful program here. So instead of just putting people in a slammer, you know, and then after three times taking their license away, no, they go through a program. And that program is turning out people whose lives have absolutely been transformed. I mean, I I heard from an attorney there, from a physician, from a mom with four kids. My gosh, this mom with four kids said that she was in in telling her story as she got her graduation certificate she was driving one of her kids to school in the morning and she was drunk had an accident her child called her sister would have been his aunt her sister her sister called the cops they came and picked her up put her in jail and her husband refused to bail her out hoping to break this cycle and she thanked her son and her husband for what they did to put her on a path to get her in this program, and now she's a graduate clean, you know, for an extended period of time. You know, the stories like that are just amazing. Yeah, I spoke there because I love what they're doing to help people change the direction of their lives, to help people who have the ability to be contributing members of our community. So I spoke there. So I talked about it's never too late to have a new beginning. I mean, I talked about that. I talked about the fact that I can predict your future. I started with that. I opened with that. And I would do the same thing with the university crowd. I can predict your future. Now, the the thing is, I don't need to know your GPA. I don't need to know your degree. I don't need to know your IQ. I don't need to know your background, your history, your family dynamics, your DNA. I don't need to know any of that. 
all I need to do to predict your future is spend a day with you, listen to what you say, and watch what you do. Watch how you make your decisions. Those two things, listen to what you say and watch what you do, is going to give me a really good indication of what your life is going to be like three years from now. I mean, I, I recently had a conversation with one of our 48 Days coaches. He had just met with a client, and as they parted ways, you know, the client stood up to leave the restaurant where they had met, and he said, well, I better go see who won't hire me today. Now, what do you think the day is going to hold for that person when he starts his day by saying, I'm going to go see who won't hire me today? He's already set the expectation for the reality in his life. I mean, what do you think he's going to experience in the workplace? I mean, his expectation is already that we're in a slow economy. Everyone's waiting to see, you know, how this political process is going to play out. No companies are hiring. I mean, that is going to be confirmed by the words that he's speaking in advance. I ran into a guy at uh, Best Buy recently. He said he had downloaded my 48 low or no cost business ideas. But then he added, but I'm a technology guy, so none of those would work for me. Now, those 48 ideas, I mean, you can adapt your technology to make those things rock and roll. And that list of 48 ideas, at the end, I link to another 1,000 ideas. But you know what? That guy I talked to, he's absolutely right. None of those are going to work for him. He's already decided in advance that none of those are going to work for him. I shared with the graduates the impact of the little audio recording, The Strangest Secret, that I got a hold of when I was about 13 years old. And the impact that that had on me, the basic message being we become what we think about. And I talked about how that became a foundational principle for my life, a guiding principle that affected me then and continues to do so today. We become what we think about. I also told them a story. Now, I'm going to play you a little clip here. I'm going to play you a little clip from Tony Robbins. There was a 50th anniversary celebration where 25 of us who were the best-selling authors for Nightingale Conant were asked to give just a short clip about you know, how we were impacted by Earl Nightingale, um, Nightingale Conant, the company. Uh, I was privileged to be in that group. One of these days, I'll play the segment that I did for Nightingale Conant, but I'm going to play the one that Tony Robbins did. Uh, Tony was in there. Um, Bob Proctor, Brian Tracy, a whole bunch of, anyway, great, great company to be in. I'm honored to be in that group. But this is what Tony Robbins talked about. And it's a story that I wanted to share with these people. I shouldn't say kids because we had people of all ages. There were people in their 60s in there and people in their, their teens in this DUI graduating class. But I wanted to share this story because it so relates to the story that a lot of us are telling ourselves. So check this out, about four minutes long, a little longer than things I usually introduce here, but it's important enough and it relates totally to what I would tell university graduates. 
Hi, this is Tony Robbins. I didn't have the chance to spend much time with Earl Nightingale before he passed, but he still had a profound impact on my life, and I think about anyone in the personal improvement or peak performance industry. This is a man whose original audio recording of The Strangest Secret took a thought that had been shared many times before, this idea that we, by taking control of our minds, of our thoughts, can take control of our lives. It was taught by As a Man Thinketh by James Allen. It's been taught by so many people, but never before was it delivered with that incredible voice that just penetrated your soul. That was Earl Nightingale. But someone asked if I'd share a story that touched me. I remember one that Earl shared with me, and I'm not going to share this perfectly accurately, but my summary of it would be this. When you look at how people's lives turn out and you want to know why, Think of this story that Earl shared with me. He said there was a friend of his, a man he got to know, who ran into tough times. And as he dealt with his stress, he used alcohol as a coping device. And he got so drunk and so run down that at one point, in desperation, with no money, just to get money for alcohol and to survive, he decided to hold up a liquor store. He had no clear plan. He wasn't that smart in this area. It certainly wasn't his skill set. And he was inebriated. So... A horrific problem became catastrophic when he went and tried to hold up the liquor store and the man behind the counter made a move that startled this man. And as a result, he started spraying bullets. And in the aftermath, without ever meaning to, he shot the proprietor. The man at the cash register actually died of the wounds. So the man obviously went through the court case and was imprisoned for life. All this because the man never learned to master his own mind, his own thinking, his own emotions. But here's where the story gets more interesting. Earl shared and said that what had happened over the years, he would follow up since he knew the man's boys. And he had two boys, if I remember correctly, I think they were about two years apart. At the time that the man went in prison, I think they may have been 12 and 14. And Earl would, from time to time, every four, five, ten years, check in with them. And finally, when they were in the early 30s, he wanted to see how having their father being in prison for life had affected them. And interestingly enough, he found the two boys by this young 30s age had radically different life paths. One of the boys had gotten involved with a business and had succeeded and become a regional sales manager. He was married and he had three children and seemed to be very happy with his life. The other individual had gotten involved with drugs and walked a path very similar to his father's where he used drugs as a coping device. And as a result of that, one day found himself in exactly the same position holding up a liquor store to try to get cash to feed his addiction that he developed at this stage. And this man did not kill the person behind the counter, but this man also, in his stress, fired off some bullets and was caught and hauled away for attempted murder. So now he's in prison, a different prison than his father. His father's been in prison for life. He's in his early 30s. And Earl said that he went to visit with this young man, and he asked him an interesting question, And he decided to ask the exact same question of his brother, who was the regional sales manager for this company, who was happy with his three kids. And what he asked both men separately was, why did your life turn out this way? And ironically, they both gave him the same answer without speaking to each other. They both said, how else could my life have turned out having had a father like that? Now think about that. One man says that he's in prison today because his father was a role model for that. The other one says he has a successful life today because his father was a role model of what not to do. Whenever we point to someone else and we say our life is messed up because of something that happened to us or because of the way a parent treated us, it's always a lie. 
ultimately, our destiny comes in our own decisions. It's not your conditions. It's your decisions that shape your life and destiny. And Earl Nightingale shared it so well in that wonderful story. It impacted me at a very young age, and I've never forgotten it. Thanks, Earl. God bless to you and to your organization. All right. Now, I was speaking to people in the audience that I had this week who came from a wide variety of life situations. And a lot of them, like the story that Tony just told, could point fingers at why their life had turned out this way why they were alcoholics, why they were addicts, and having to change the direction of their life. They could point fingers. But they could do exactly what the other son did as well and saying, because of that, I saw what not to do. Now at this point in my presentation, I pulled out a copy of Wisdom Meets Passion. I wasn't going to do this on the podcast, but I think I'm going to go ahead and do it. Just take a couple minutes. But I'm going to do this because I pulled out a section from Wisdom Meets Passion where I talked about it. I titled it, My Life is a Mess. And I'd give two different versions of my own growing up experience. I show a picture of our family. Our family was very stern and somber, not a lot of joy and laughter in our house. My dad was a very serious gentleman, you know, pastored a little church, and then we eked out a living as, a fa- as farmers. So anyway, without any more on that, Let me read you this story of my life. I grew up in a home where we didn't even have running water until I was in the eighth grade. I knew nothing but poverty. As a five-year-old, I was forced to get up at 5.30 a.m. to do my share of the farming chores. Most Christmases, I got a new pair of blue jeans, my one pair and one gift for that year. I was not allowed to wear neckties or fancy clothes. Because of my parents' legalistic religious beliefs, I was not allowed to go to movies, dances, or sporting events. Our home was rigid and somber with little laughter. I received zero financial help for college from my parents. I hated the cold weather in Ohio. If only I had been born into a family with more opportunity. Well, that's all very true. But now here's another lens through which I can describe my growing up experience. In my family, we learned how to make good use of everything. Nothing was wasted. We grew our own food, and I created toys from things other families discarded. As a small boy, I had the opportunity to experience real work and to begin my commitment to work that was meaningful and profitable. With no TV or radio in our house, I became an avid reader, and that opened me up to a wealth of wisdom and knowledge that serves me well today. I worked right through my college years and valued the education I was paying for myself. My father's devotion to his religious views prompted me to study deeply and formulate beliefs to which I could be equally committed. Today, I value the work ethic and the uncompromising integrity I learned in that strict Amish Mennonite environment. As my own man, I wore neckties until I came to my realization that there was more than legalism to provide reason for not wearing the silly things. Creativity and ingenuity I experienced as a child served me in a thousand ways in helping me see opportunities that others miss. Now, both of those op- those stories, both of those versions of my life are equally true. But if you'd just met me, which of those stories would make you want to get to know me more? Which of those stories do you think makes me more confident and happier, gives me more energy? gives me the ability to be creative, to see 
opportunities all around me. Which of those stories will do that? I think we all have the ability to do that. To describe our life story. To describe the factors that have made us who we are today. We have the opportunity to change that dramatically. To change the lens through which we're seeing that. So I shared that with this group of graduates, as I would with university graduates. And then I simply ended with, all beginnings are hopeful. You know, the, just the idea of having a new beginning can really spark hope, enthusiasm, confidence. Now get out there, decide what your future is going to look like. And then by the decisions you make and the words that come out of your mouth, you'll see that come into play as a reality. I would do the same thing for university graduates. Y'all, I got kind of carried away on that. Great question, Mark. I really loved your framing of that. Um, yeah, I would I would accept, probably, to, to speak at a university graduation. And I think I could pull it off without offending anybody, without um, questioning the value of their degrees. I just wouldn't go there. Just wouldn't go there at all. All right, hey, I want to get to a couple more here. I want to get to this one. Now, I've got an audio question here from James. I want to play it just like he shared it with us. And then I want to talk about his question. You'll see where we're going with this. Hi, my name is James Carlock. I wanted to ask the question, where do wealthy people hang out at? I would love to have wealthy friends so I can see how they think and move and act. So if you could please... Give me uh, an answer to that. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much and have a great day. Isn't that a great question? Where do wealthy people hang out? Where do wealthy people hang out? Now, here's a funny thing. I put that exactly like that. Where do wealthy people hang out? In a Google search, and the first thing that came up was a blog that I wrote four years ago. How do I find rich people to hang around? Well, and there there was more in there. But obviously, I've talked about this before. I love talking about it because it is a legitimate question. You hear me say the old Jim Rowan cliche, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And there are others who say your income will be the average of your 10 closest friends. I mean, that kind of information shouldn't come as a surprise. I mean, even the Bible warns us about hanging around the wrong kind of people. In Proverbs 22, we find... You know, do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Well, that's true. We become like the people that we spend time with. So, James, your question is very legitimate. How do you find rich people to hang around? You know, how do you, where do wealthy people hang out? Well, the expectation is that we never see them, that somehow they're hiding you know, in their own little communities or somehow we don't have access to them. That's just not true. I mean, you can just look around and are going to see a whole lot of possibilities. A couple of weeks ago, Joanna and I on a Saturday morning went out to Leaper's Fork to an old pickup show. My gosh. I mean, I love that kind of thing, being a car guy. But just walking through these old pickups and talking to the guys, trust me, I talked to a whole lot of guys that morning that were multimillionaires. Now, I didn't ask to see their financials, but I know that's one of the things that people who have everything taken care of financially, they do. They enjoy cars like that. You know, I talked to Mike Wolf, one of the hosts of American Pickers. You know, he was there. 
my goodness, you wouldn't pick him out of a lineup as being a multimillionaire. Now, and, and the reason they were doing the car show was to raise money to replace the air conditioning unit in the little Methodist church that Mike attends there in Leapers Fork. Again, I'm sure Mike could have, you know, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, he, he could have written a check for that probably without missing a beat. But instead, he engaged a whole lot of people. But there's a whole lot of wealthy people in Leapers Fork, Tennessee. I know that. So going to an art show there or going through the little antique stores or going to a car show like that, my goodness, if you go out there on a Sunday, you might see in uh, one of the parking lots there. One time uh, we went out there for lunch and I saw in the parking lot there were seven cars sitting there. And they included, uh, you know, a couple Ferraris, a couple Maseratis, uh, McLarens. I mean, everything that started at about a quarter of a million dollars and went up. Seven of them right in a row. And those guys are just walking around like everybody else. Now, one of the things, I, I kind of throw that out there, but really, actually, one of the identifying characteristics of millionaires in general is not that they have fancy cars, spend a lot of money on that at all, but oftentimes that is true as well. I've mentioned, well, let me, let me just go through some of the things that I would suggest, ways that you can spend time with wealthy people. Attend book signings. When I recently went to a book signing uh, that Michael Hyatt had, Got to meet Stu McLaren, Ken Davis, and a whole bunch of other top leaders in business. Again, cost for the event, zero. It's a book signing. Go. I mean, spend 20 bucks and get a book and have the person sign it. But, you know, you find people who are high achievers at those kind of events. Watch for business breakfast. I usually go to a couple a month. Got one coming up here, and, and uh, I just um, just said, yes, I'm going to come. It's just a, a meetup at Frothy Monkey in Franklin. And the upstairs part of that with a bunch of guys that are going to be in from out of town for a couple of events. So they're doing a breakfast. And I see those things come through all the time. Our, our local in Nashville here, our Entrepreneur Center, has a monthly Entrepreneur's Coffee. Uh, it's a monthly coffee meetup for Nashville business leaders to network and hear stories about entrepreneurship, starting businesses, no charge at all to attend. Now, incidentally, if you want to look for wealthy people, there are some characteristics. And I'm going to recommend... James, that you get a copy of The Millionaire Mind by Thomas Stanley. The Millionaire Mind. Now, he also wrote The Millionaire Next Door, which is wonderful. The Millionaire Mind is really uh, in the sweet spot for how you can help identify who millionaires are, who wealthy people are. One in ten, he says, are attorneys. Uh, nearly the same proportion are physicians, so a very small percentage are professionals, but that's not the biggest part of it. The biggest group of millionaires are business owners. I mean, there's no question about it. Um, there are other things you can look for. Uh, nearly 50% of our wives do not work outside the home. Um, the, the average GPA for those of us who graduated from college, is 2.9, which is really hilarious because we assume that those who have higher GPAs, you know, end up in better positions. No, not necessarily at all. That's a story for another day. But uh, people who end up extremely wealthy tend to have not done that well in school in general. Now, there are exceptions, but in general, they have not. Well, there are lunch and learn events. If you look around where you are, you'll find them there. There's certainly a lot of them that are happening here. Join your local chamber of commerce. 
You're going to find wealthy people there. Become a member of your local Rotary Club. Attend concerts. And here in Nashville, there are lots of free concerts on any given week. And people go to things like that who have their lives in order, who are in good shape financially, physically, spiritually, in relationships. They go to concerts. Spend time at the country club. Now, I'm, I'm a member of the Vanderbilt Legends Club. Now, that sounds really fancy, I'm sure. That, I'm not a golfer. And that is where, you know, golfers do their things and have big tournaments and all. I'm not a golfer. But I have, I go there for lunch two or three times a week. The meals are, you know, six and seven dollars. I mean, the same thing you would do at O'Charlie's or, or Friday's, you know, any of those places. But then I see people like our mayor. I see Daryl and Stevie Waltrip there almost every time I go. People like Vince Gill and Gary Chapman. I mean, the president of a local college. Talked to him there just recently. Authors, lots of others. Now, here's the thing. My cost for that exclusive, highbrow, fancy-schmancy membership is zero. I don't pay anything for it. I don't pay anything for it at all. All I do is just pay for my meals. So it's just a different mindset. Rather than going to, oh, I don't know, Taco Bell, where you're going to hear people complaining about the weather and the people they work with and their bosses, I just choose to go to a place where people are talking about success, bettering themselves, sharing ideas with others who are on the same path. But that's something, it doesn't cost anything. So don't get the idea that uh, to hang around wealthy people, you have to already be wealthy. No, you don't at all. You can hang around wealthy people today. And listen to uh, podcasts like Entrepreneur on Fire with my buddy John Lee Dumas. And he interviews amazing people like Seth Godin, Guy Kawasaki, Barbara Cochran, Pat Flynn, a whole lot more. Um, you know, listen, listen to how he interviews those people, and you'll, you'll hear people and hear how their success developed. Listen to Jamie Masters on her podcast, Eventual Millionaire. I mean, she wrote a book, Eventual Millionaire. I was privileged to do the, the forward to that book, but she interviews nothing but millionaires, and you can hear how they think and what they do. But you can do everything that I just listed here long before you're a millionaire yourself. And that, like I say, that common mistake is thinking that we have to have first and then we become. No, that's not true. I mean, if it were that sequence, we would expect lottery winners to be grateful, respectful, you know, continue to elevate their success. No, what we find is that most of them are angry and broke after three years. So you become, you think like a millionaire. You think like a wealthy person before you become one. Then, so when it shows up in reality, it's no surprise you're already the kind of person that attracts money. And one of the hallmark characteristics of highly successful people is that they spend time with those who are already performing at the level which they want to perform. So you become the person you want to be today. And then the reality of how that unfolds financially will take place over a period of time. I mean, you hear stories on here, you know, time and time again from people who started. Maybe they came to an event here. You know, maybe they just read a book. But then they started. Their thinking changed. Their mindset changed. So many ways you can do that so you become the kind of person that then have plenty of opportunity to spend time around wealthy people. Love your question, James. Boy, be committed to being able to do that really, really quickly. Okay, a couple more here. Sonny says, um, thanks for what you do in inspiring people like me who are lost and searching for that job 
that we would love to have joy and despite the reality of an everyday grind. Wow, okay. As I was on my way home one evening in February, I heard you speaking as a guest on Dave Ramsey's radio show and came to know about 48 Days to the Working Love. At that time, my interest was truly to purchase the book as a gift to share with an ex-IBMer client of mine who I really wanted to help get back on his feet after getting laid off recently. I decided to purchase a copy of the book for myself. As like many of your followers, I I truly am struggling with having to enjoy what should be a great job that pays well. I had always wondered, thought about what my true calling in life is. I do have a wonderful wife and three children. I love to help people without asking anything in return. That comes as a joy to me. Today I purchased another book, shared it with another client who was released by her company, said she wants more meaning in her next job. Thought the book would be a great read for her. Not sure where else to go here, but read the book at this time and pray daily that the Lord would allow me to see. More power to you, and I hope one day I can be of assistance to others to the scale you and Dave Ramsey are doing now. Regards, Sonny. Well, I'm intrigued by your, it's not really a question, but it sounds like your interest has been stirred up, and you suspect there's more out there for you. I mean, that's a great starting point. But now, believe me, my goal is not to make people miserable or discontent. My goal is to help you recognize there are a lot of choices out there. You don't need to settle for a daily grind. You don't need to settle for miserable. You really don't. There is more. You can lead yourself into a more fulfilling, more meaningful life than what you're describing. But here's what I encourage you to do, son. You obviously, you know, it's something you aren't out of work. You're just working in a job that you're not really thrilled about. Just follow your curiosity. And a lot of people get tripped up on, gee, I don't know what my passion is. You know, I don't know. What. It doesn't matter. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about not knowing your passion. Just start following your curiosity. That's what I want you to do. Stuck in the Get your attention. What are the recurring themes that you find yourself being drawn back to? What is it this that you're doing that flies by? Just pay attention to those things. The indicators are already These there. They really are. I don't know how old you are, but you're obviously this work is just so to the clues. Life leaves clues all so along the way. Delay. Having some life experience is a wonderful thing to be able to move like it's that. Gonna take see your heart. Well, you see how those things come together. And how that gives you the information. Well, I've got lots of questions. I've got questions, questions about you're in a rock and a hard spot. I wanted to get to that. That's all right. We'll save that for another day. I think we covered some important things today about freedom what your options are about framing how you tell your life story. What is it that inspires you? Regardless of what your past is, how can you frame that in a way that acts as a motivation to live on exemplary life today? If you like son number one in Tony Robbins' story today, can be the kind of person who maybe had a bad example. Use the bad example to decide what not to do. You can make those decisions every single day you can do you know you, you want to do work just commit today 
to stop doing any work that is not extra. And that's the way we change our lives, day by day, moving ahead. Well, thanks growing group. Check out the 48 Days Eagles if you haven't yet. Thanks for being part of this. We are my to know you. We're good. We need